All right. Well, today in the United States at approximately 1.20 Central Time, that'd be 2.20 uh, Eastern Time, the United States government emergency service uh, systems sent a text message to every cell phone in the United States. Uh, so first question, Matt, is like, do you have a U.S. number? And did you did you get this uh, message in the middle of, uh, I guess for you, it'd be the, an early morning wake up call? Uh, no, no, I did not. Um, not good. So we know. I, uh, so I, I, I have a Google voice number. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, there must be some way of knowing that it's a Google voice number. Cause some, some things won't deal with it. They'll be like, you have to use a real number. Okay. Um, so it, it, maybe it's not yeah. on the official, uh, list. No, you didn't get it. No. I so woke up question- to some. Some spam my, on my Gmail, but not on my on my right. iPhone, but not that. <laughs> the good news is you didn't get that the notification. The bad news is you continue to get spam uh, asking you to sign up for a five dollar discount to arbitrary re- uh, retailers. Is that probably the uh, mostly what's they, going they on? want to check on the state of my automotive warranty and uh, see how I feel about voting for so and so in the next election, where well, so and so is all of them. Yeah, well, the reason I was asking is like, I was wondering, like, I want to know how much preparation went into uh, running the test. Like when you're when someone says to you, like, you got to run the test, I guess it happens every three years where they actually test the emergency system where and not only my understanding is I didn't have a TV on at the time, but like the televisions also like kind of went over to like the, you know, the special like special announcement kind of thing. How much preparation do you think went into running this test? Do you think they've been preparing for like I'll throw out some timeframes, like 30 days, 90 days, six months, a year. Like, what do you do when you're about to like, you're going to notify everyone in the United States? How much testing does that require? Federal government, at least a year. <laughs> like, do you think there was an entire oh, yeah. project? I, I, no, 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 no. Somebody, somebody like put it on a calendar and then it went around and around like, you know, oh, you know, we're going to do it this day. And you got to get so-and-so's approval and it's got to go to this person and you got to go that way. It, you know, and, and it, you know, it probably bubbled up to like, you know, the White House or something, at, you know, at like six months advance. And then they're like, okay, 90 days, we'll start telling the public. And then they're like, mm-hmm. nobody paid attention 90 days. Yeah, and then they're like, I did oh, not. all right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll start telling them two weeks. And then, you know, and, and then probably about a, a week ago, I started hearing, it's coming. It's coming. You know, it showed <laughs> up on like, you know, Twitter. They're like, right. you know, are they going to tell, you know, is this you know because I remember like didn't Donald Trump try to use it to like tell people to vote for him on election day or something? Did he? I hope uh, not. That seems he like did. No, no, he just he, uh, he re- tried to he wanted to use it and they told me he couldn't. Oh my um, gosh. Oh my gosh. That would have been <laughs> oh, I didn't even know this went down. This is even worse. Well, uh, it didn't go down, you know. Yeah. Um and you know, which is probably why he loves the election. <laughs> <laughs> that not alone. Well, what do you think? think get the spam, everybody. What else? I mean, because we're totally uninformed on this. Like, how many people do you think were on this team? The team that made up the test team. Oh, okay. Let me throw out some numbers. Like, under five, under ten, under twenty, under fifty, fifty or more. Oh, I'm gonna go for the twenty to fifty range. Twenty to fifty, right? Because, like, how many sign-offs do you think this required before they were like, "You're ready"? Like, you know, because this is definitely no agile. Like, let's just do it at the end of the sprint, right? This was, you know. This was some serious waterfall. You probably like how probably what three different you think Department of State, emergency services, maybe the military all had to sign off that. I'm guessing Homeland Security is where it bubbles up into, right? But wouldn't you think they like Department of Defense and like maybe Department of Oh, I'm sure they they all had to sign off on it, right? This this was probably brought up in a cabinet meeting. (laughs) Where good question. Do you think it No, no, they probably have some sort of like undersecretaries who like, you know. All right, don't 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 talk about this in front of the president. Look, our department is telling your department this is the official line, but it probably goes all the way up to just below the top level. Okay, right. and then how much do you think it costs? Because think about it, like we're sending a text message, or, or no, I guess I don't know. I guess the text message slash phone call, like to the entire United States. So it's like. Like you can't like can you go to Twilio and be like I need the entire uh uh I need I need a package for the entire <laughs> addressable mobile phone uh market in the United States like what you, would it cost you go into like pseudo Twilio <laughs> is the Twilio but like think about the Twilio exec that has uh, the sales exec that has the the government as the 
as uh, the client, every three years, they need to send 300 million. Uh, I don't, I'm just guessing, you know, say 250 million messages. And they're like, Hmm, I think we can do that for you. That's going to be $25 million. Like, I don't know. Or is, I, it would be fascinating to go. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We made it through from what I can tell. Uh, there was no emergency. They were very clear about that. Everyone was very clear that this emergency was not a real emergency. So I think we all did it. Everyone made it through. And I look forward to our next test of this in three years. And uh, if anyone actually has any of the actual background, I will. I would just love to know. You can like pass it to me however you want. Find me in the Slack, send us an email, even just anonymously. I would love to know the details of this project. So uh, congr- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it successful because from what I can tell, I was notified. I would sign off. I'd be like, yep worked works for me and i think that's all you need how many people have to say probably like 10 citizens say it works you you just you declare success you don't need all 250 million people so uh good work emergency broadcast system now matt the other thing i wanted to get your take on because you're um maybe not the most frequent traveler but you are the traveler <laughs> no, kote's got it got it back i was gonna say Kote's but you're the one that travels the furthest and oh, no, uh sure i wanted to uh, along the same lines with the government here, the government uh, recently global entry, which we've talked about many times, they announced oh, yeah. a new feature. So I, I think on the show before we've talked about how I, at least I know I said something like it was incredible. We walk up to a global entry, didn't even have to like sign or, or touch anything. It recognized me, my photo. And uh, I immediately was sent over to uh, customs and it was great. Right. Well, now they have this new thing. It's called the global entry mobile app. And I was hoping you would be someone because uh, in a way it works is it's an app you put on your phone. And then when you get to the uh, airport that is participating in it, and here, here they are, they're Seattle, Los Angeles, Miami, Orlando, Dullas, DFW. Pittsburgh, and Houston, Inter- or George Bush, Houston Intercontinental Airport. So when you get there, you don't even have to go to the kiosk. You just like, I guess you, this is what I mean, as I understand it, you just download the app, you hold the app up to your face. And then it just signed you in and away you go. So you don't even have to go to the kiosk. So I was telling you pre-show, I was like, hey, I want you to try this for me because I, I don't know the next time I'm going to be at one of those airports. And you immediately said you're not going to do it. So explain yourself. <laughs> well, what's going on? Okay. Okay. First off, do you really think you need to point at your face? Don't you know they're already just tracking you? <laughs> well, no, I'm just trying to, but like to me, my goal is just to get through border control very, that, very fast. That, that's that's, so that's why I think it, they've, they've already made it too easy. Literally, I walked by the kiosk. I didn't even like stand in front of it. And it's like, hi, Matt. And I was like, I was a little creeped out because it scanned mm-hmm. my face before I like was still, you know, it was like proceed uh-huh. to booth. So, I mean, it was so fast that... I was like, did they scam me on the plane or something? Because you mm-hmm. know, I, I literally like. Are you I complaining not... about this though? Like, you think? Well, it was no, 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 no. I'm like, saying, I'm your... saying, I'm saying they've made. <sighs> I've already given them so much. Like they, you know, they've got my face, fingerprints, DNA. You know, they they obviously already know who I am. Mm-hmm. And why would I bother with the mobile app when I I I did not break stride going through the global entry line. Okay, because basically, there's just no reason you're saying this. Like, it's well, doesn't, I mean, no. Uh, as long as there's, I've, yeah, I've already, available. I've already surrendered to to you know the the uh, the you know NSA or whoever it is who's who's you know running those systems for them. They work great. You know, they know who I am and they know when I come in the country. So why they're already on my mobile phone? They don't need the app. You know, I, I just mm. I don't. So they is, don't need you, to be on my. Is the case going to be this though? Like you get, so the scenario where you would do it, I guess, or let me ask you if you would do this. Okay. You, so you fly into this case, like yeah. Los Angeles is the place I think you fly yeah. in, not out of fairly, Mostly. Fairly, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, you get to LA and for some reason there's a backup. There's a long line for the kiosk, right? At the thing. And so you're just standing there and you're like, well, I could download the app and use it or i could just wait in line how long would the line have to be before you'd be like i'm going to download the app and do it that way it would see ah. but uh, see you'd probably spend some time like setting it up and by the time you had it set up and downloaded and you're not supposed to have your phone out in those sections so you know by the time you have it all installed and everything you'd probably be at the line that's what i'm saying it's usually so efficient that i don't see the need for the mobile app all right. So not until, so our feedback, not until the feedback like is, the wait, is I have to be looking at a normal immigration line to think about it. Right, and then probably, I would probably uninstall it when I leave the line. When, so like 30 minutes. Like if the line was, if it was yeah. like 30 minutes or longer, you'd be like, okay, let me try this, uh, this app. I, for install and uninstall. 
that that's that's how like i don't okay why already I mean, too like, much junk on are you, do you think they're just gonna track you is that the thing is that why you i already know it? they're tracking me i just i, well, I, I just agree resent, but like why why I just are you gonna this one the, app though this one the, app the is formality i i just resent the fact that they're like look just pretend we're not already tracking you and put this on your phone. I like it. All right. All right. Well, all right. Well, sounds like you're going to get an F for this. You're going to get an incomplete for this homework assignment since you're not going to do it. So next I'm going to uh, try to assign this homework assignment to Kote. Kote, he's down for installing. Oh, yeah. That. You know, he's got Kote is all about the default life cycle. He's got everything on, on that phone. So we'll see. Maybe I don't know when he's coming to the U.S. again. But we'll, not only that, I'm going to make sure uh, – if we can make it so that he gets uh, more points by having to go through a specific airport uh, destination, maybe he'll do it. He'll, he'll actually reroute himself. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going through Pittsburgh because I had to do it." And I got uh, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't really have any incentive for it. Like they've, they've made it. I mean, you know, congratulations to TSA. They've made it so, so nice. That's true. I mean, I, I will say, border it, like, control. It does seem. Yeah. It seems like the 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 move here is just eventually they get rid of the kiosk. Right. Or, the, yeah. or let's say it this way. It's like they want to be able to say they have this at every airport, every airport that has global entry without having to put kiosk at every airport or maybe only putting one or two. And I think mm-hmm. that's why that's where they're coming. So it's really a, yeah, a yeah, cost yeah. savings it's, for the government. It's like I'm sh- I'm sure, you know, you know, they're they're paying Accenture like a hundred you know, hundred eighty thousand dollars a kiosk or something. And you know, right. and you open it up and it's like it's a Dell, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Intel 486 running running some unpatched version of Windows 95 or something like that. So uh, yes, so that's true. Okay, all right. Well, all right. Well, you know, again, incomplete homework assignment for you. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll try to. I'm I will try to do it. I just never. I just I don't have the same. They need to have it in Austin, basically. But we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Carl, you now in um other news in the semi-security uh world. MGM and Caesars uh, were both attacked, uh, cyber attacked, you know, essentially one of those kind of ransomware things. And I don't know the details of the ransomware you can read about. I don't think it's as interesting as like the different choices that went on here. So for purposes of this, we'll just make it simple. Both of these gaming hotels or operations were essentially taken over and, you know, they, no one could check in in the hotels and basically the hotels and the gambling came to a halt. And the, if you were here in the U S or maybe you can see them anywhere, there are lots of pictures of incredibly long lines. So the choice facing each one of them is uh, the reported ransom that was, it was $15 million. So if you're MGM or your Caesars, you know, you basically could pay 15 million to the, uh, in this case, the cyber, uh, I guess what hackers, right. And they would give you their, um, you know, if you will, the way to recover quickly, or you yep. can just tough it out and, and fix it and give them nothing. Now I did a poll. I have a friend that works uh, very closely with uh, groups of uh, chief information security officers or CISOs, right? So yep. he's been talking to them, but I wanted to get your take. So if you're in the command center and I come to you and I say, okay, Matt, we've been hacked We're it's going to take us uh, 10 days to get back to uh operational of you know and we're losing 20 million a day 40 million a A lot whatever i mean losing quite a bit so i think we can say you're losing the net for purpose of this let's just say it's clear you're going to lose more than 15 million and actually trying to deal with this but like so i come to you as uh chief information security officer matt and i say matt what are we going to do here should we are you going to green light the payment of course, there's always a little bit like if you pay, they may not do it. But in this case, it seems like they actually did. Um, are you going to green light the payment or are you going to stick to your your moral high ground and be like, we are not going to incent this behavior and we will not pay them. We will we will eat it. We will do the hard work. What what do you say? So, you you know, they're probably the same insurers who do uh, kidnap and ransom for um, sh- shipping, you know, for like yep. uh, the big mm, yeah. oil tankers. They pay the ransoms. Yep. Well, right? in the case of the shipping, they have they, a, a they whole quarterly formula. pay the ransoms, and, they have and a that's in the too. policy. Yeah, right. exactly. exactly. They have a whole mathematical formula and a negotiator about exactly. like how they get it down. So they, in their case, they absolutely have it figured out. So, so, so I make sure I'm familiar with our insurance policy, and uh-huh. I make sure that like you know, uh, I can you know point to them and say, look, insurance insurance says you pay, and and you know and go or the insurance says you know suck it up and we are on the hook for you know 400 million dollars because you're down for for two weeks so you know that's that's you get to pass the buck that's the whole beauty of insurance is it becomes 
it becomes someone else's, you know, actuarial problem that is already solved for you. Um, I mean, cause yeah, I would probably pay it, but the problem is like, you know, well, if you pay and it was fake, they just screwed you over 15 million. How do they pay these jokers? You know, um, I think it's all like Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> what else would they use? <laughs> you know, the, they send us some eight NFTs. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think well, here, let me I give think, you, let me throw out some different perspectives. So in the software defined uh, talk Slack, it seemed to be everyone that sort of like got in the thread pretty much were like, we, you just pay it. Right. Cause it's just like, it's just easier and you get it back. So that was the general, and we'll say um, the Slack, I think represents, do you think it's fair to say like a pragmatic group of listeners, mostly, mostly. working in yeah. ops and software development? I yes, think that's generally yes. that group of people. Now, my friend that works with the CISOs, he did like a poll because they were like doing some music group. And uh, what do you think the CISO said before I, I reveal it? Like what, 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 what do you think that group said? We could possibly get hacked. <laughs> they all said without, they all, it was almost a hundred percent that they said not to pay it. Right. So, which I think wow. is interesting, right? The CISOs. And that was but that's why like, it's well, not in their hands. That's why, like I'm saying, well, that makes sense. Like, I think that's the whole point. It's like, if you're a CISO, it's like almost going against your ethos to be like, well, oh, be, we because you, you are, you are giving up. You are saying, you know, they've got me, you know, they've got me. There's nothing I can do. You know, you, you're saying like, I have, I have, you know, abrogated my responsibility and, and, you know, the bad guys have won pay them and probably you know 30 60 days later you're looking for a new job um but that's why it's not in your hands is 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 you know the company the company's not there to let you fight the company's there to make money mm-hmm. and you're like you know oh I, you know i can fight this off well you know we've got good policies in place we'll recover in time it's like the company knows like no we have this insurance because this was going to happen to all of us at some point so I think you bring up a good question. Like, I wonder how many people are getting fired at both these places. Because one thing that's kind of interesting is they were both attacked. So different corporations, MGM and Caesars, are like different uh, global corporations. And so WSFTP both times. You could say, <laughs> um, well, I guess you know, you know, there's sort of like I don't know what you call it, like you know the the peer group. You could say, listen, like it wasn't like I guess there's a bunch of uh, casinos or gaming companies that we haven't said anything. So it doesn't mean they're necessarily haven't been had. It's, it's going to be like, like right? oceans 14 where they take down the whole strip. Yeah. That's so, so I guess, the whole, <laughs> I guess if I was, but if I was the CISO, I'd be like, listen, Hey, we, we take reasonable um, precautions. This still happened. And it even happened to our competitors who also did it. So we were sort of like an industry level, you know, if you will, competent security. So yeah, you can fire us, but it's not like you can go hire the person at MGM or Caesars. It's like they, <laughs> it's they like had I the know same somebody issue. else is going to be looking for a job. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I, I don't know. So I don't know. I guess it is interesting for the executives, the CEOs and the business side, like how many people are going to, cause they, that is true. Like if you say you're going to fire everyone, then of course you would just say, well, no, let's fight it. Like we can't do this. But I think if you're, I kind of come at it just more pragmatically. It's like, I, I think I would have been like, you're just going to have to, you're going to pay it. I would pay it. And I, my thinking is that like, sure, I don't want to incent this behavior, but just given the scope of the problem, exactly. I don't think of like us, like having this moral high ground of not paying it, isn't going to address this issue. You know what I mean? It no. has to be addressed in a different way. So I don't really feel bad about that. And then too, I don't know, as an executive, if you were satisfied with what the security group had been doing as a general rule, if there wasn't like some other- <laughs> You you um, probably signed off on it. So yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know if I would be quick to fire all of the security staff and be like, this is 100% your fault, right? Because I, I don't know, I'd be, I'd at least think about it more. Now, maybe this is all being naive and it's like, Hey, you know, you got it. Somebody has to go down in these big situations. You have to kind of show. So you just take down. Well, the- well hopefully they, they use their mafia contacts to, you know, take care <laughs> of the attackers. <laughs> well, that's the other question. I do wonder. It, it does seem like, you know, why? Uh, I mean, so well, now they got, well, one person, one group paid, the other didn't. I was going to say, if you're seeking $30 million, it seems like you could like find, you know, that if some, if you're trying to, let's say, if the budget was say $10 million to go find these people, it seems like, you could you could pay for some people to go figure it out pretty pretty quick, right? Well, you know, but but by then Bitcoin might not be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm just so sympathetic to the whole thing. Like I feel like there's really this is why I think being it's like I often think about like what is the hardest job? Like what executive job would you want least? And it's like 
you know, usually it's like the VP of sales. Cause it's like, well, as soon as sales go down, you're definitely oh, yeah. fired. Right. And it's like, that always seems hard, but, but at least get some good meals, right. You kind of have a fighting chance though. Right. And you have a lot of upside. Like if things go well, you do have a tremendous amount of upside. Um, and then let's see like marketing. It's like, you know, if you can show that you're generating demand, you usually can keep your job. And, and when you're fired, they usually are really nice about it. Right. They're just like, get out, but they're not that mad. <laughs> Whereas, like, I think being the CISO, it's like there's not a ton of upsides. Like, you don't like win a lot of sleepless nights because you know it's always just a matter of time. Yeah, you don't have like the big bonus. It's not like at the end of the year, like, oh, we weren't hacked. Let me, you know, I'm gonna give you 300 percent of your salary. <laughs> it's like, no, no, like the the VP of sales gets that, but they just look at you like, oh, you just did your job. Good job. You can come back on tomorrow. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then of course this happens, and then you're in the, the, the. There's no exceeding expectations in that role. You're in the right? press, and yeah. So I don't know, but maybe it would have been good though if I was there. If it was like, well, maybe it would be a good way for me to like not play blackjack and waste all my money when I'm in Vegas. So maybe <laughs> the next time I'm going well, to Vegas, or, or not be able to check it to your hotel yeah that i you know that i felt for people it was like because you yeah. saw those long lines and then again it depends on why you're there if you're there for well, fun or so many you know, conferences though you know it's just like yeah, it's got to be a nightmare but but it would be the most memorable reinvent ever <laughs> <laughs> that's actually true though like if they had done it man but that's the thing you know during for us in our bubble you know we're mm-hmm. like oh you know they would disrupt you know what if they had disrupted reinvent something else was probably disrupted this week you know it'd be like you know, yeah, we just uh, don't know what it is. Yeah, so we, it's, it's not our industry. Care. So, yeah. yeah, so we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't care about the auto dealers convention from around exactly. the world or whatever. That has, you know, 400,000 people there. Well, can, I don't know. Well, hopefully, I think the last I read, it looks like everything's back online. Uh, and even, I can't remember which one didn't pay, but the, the people that took 10 days, looks like they're back online. So, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully it all worked out. Hopefully nobody uh, got fired yet. But I'm sure that'll come in the next few weeks. That so-and-so has uh, decided to pursue opportuni- other opportunities and spend time with their family. You know, that's how, that's how they, that's always the end of every um, blameless promo, post, uh, post, what am I trying to say? Blameless post-mortem, post-mortem uh, for uh, cybersecurity, it always ends with someone uh, deciding to spend more time with their family. So I hope that's what happened in this case. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, another topic that's like near and dear to your, uh, I don't know, your old job, maybe your heart. You can tell me where it is, is infrastructure as code. So yes. infrastructure. So this week, uh, the creator of Ansible, which is now owned by Red Hat, right? And, yep. I guess, and therefore IBM has uh, officially shipped uh, JetPorch. So I only looked at this briefly, but like, I don't know, maybe give us two things. Like what is JetPorch and uh, do we need to care about this? Do we need another infrastructure as code solution? <laughs> oh, so spicy. Um, it, I mean, it looks fine. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, Ansible V2 uh, where he's, you're rewritten it in Rust. Um, it's got a, uh, a GPL V3 license. So, you know, free forever for everyone. Um, and, you know, uh, looks, it looks very similar to, you know, what went into Ansible. It's still a push model. Um, you know, it's got a DSL, that kind of stuff. You know, they're hyping the fact that it's Rust so they can do multi-threading and, you know, it's faster and all this and that. And it's like, it's one of those things when, when you come up with, you know, a new version of something to move people off the old one, you're going to need to be an order of magnitude better. And I don't see this. I see this as like, you know, the steel plated buggy. I mean, it's, it just doesn't, I I mean, maybe, you know, hopefully for them, it it catches on. Um, It seems like, you know, Ansible has kind of just settled in into being like the default that, you know, nobody's going to do a rug pull and change the license at this point. It's, fine for almost everybody um you know it works most people don't have you know more than a couple hundred nodes anyway so you know um all the like top end advantages you know chef already did that puppet you know was getting there and you know they didn't have that many users and it's kind of just a solved problem i mean Sure. Well, maybe that's a good question for you. And just in general, like infrastructure is code because there's also, we had uh, Adam Jacob, your old. Well, that, that's what I was kind of getting towards. It's like uh-huh. this style is, it's just, you know, it's just uh, SSH in a for loop even faster. And, <laughs> and I mean, 
you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong uh, and I missed something, but you know, I you know, oh, we're not using SSH anymore, but so what? It's it's still just like great. You can you know connect to ten thousand machines at a time. How many people have that many machines that aren't Kubernetes? Because that's that's the other thing. Like this isn't Kubernetes, and most people moving to that level of scale, you know, the tools they have are working fine, or they've sorted out like you know how to make Ansible talk to that many nodes, or you know they're still using chef or, you know, something else where, you know, it's just not that big a problem where, you know, you've compartmentalized it into smaller chunks. So you don't have to connect to that many machines. Um, but maybe give I, us a lay of the land. And so if we say jet porch porch <laughs> is just sort of like a faster version of the old way. Right. Yeah. And so that's sort of one approach to the kind of this infrastructure's code. Then we have the system initiative, which is like what would like what category we put that in, like sort of like model based. Yeah, oh, it's, like it's a new. It's like a new approach to it. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's 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 model based. It's a it's a new way of thinking about the problem and modeling it. Where, um, I mean, this is like you know, Ansible and 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 Jetporch and, um, you know, they're more like. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of like better like analogies, but the the thing about using a tool like um, System Initiative is it's going to give you uh, abstractions, a lot bigger abstractions, where you can say like you know that EKS or, or you know I see I'm already mixing Kubernetes into the mix, you know that that stuff over there I can just interact with it at you know through these endpoints. I don't have to think about what's happening under the covers because there's layers and layers and layers of abstractions under the covers that are, you know, dealing with those other pieces. But um, <clears throat> hopefully I'm not thinking about individual machines and this is still very much, it, it feels like it's very much at the individual machine. I don't apply things to a class of, I don't say, you know, blow this out to, <clears throat> to a service. You know, I'm still like blow this out to the 10,000 machines in the service. Um, and, and that's, I, you, you need to have abstractions hiding away more machines to be able to think about more machines and, um, you know, chef and puppet and Ansible were all just refined ways of thinking about more machines. And so that's sort of, so we can kind of put these in categories, like Jeb ports would be like, whatever you want the new way of doing the old thing. We'll call it mass mas- machines, right. Or, you know, mass yeah, configuration, yeah. right. If you want the new way, which is maybe unproven. You could try systems initiative. That's the model based way, right? Yeah. See if that works for you. And then what about? Because I also have on here that uh, is a Plumami. Plumami. Yeah. Thank you. They just raised uh, forty one million from uh, I guess Madrona and other venture capitalists. So they seem like they're they also have their their take on infrastructure. Uh, as yeah. Code. So where do we put them? Well, so so the, once you stopped thinking about individual machines and started moving into like services and and higher level stuff you started getting into the Terraform and, and Pulumi category where they're like, look, we're going to interact with services. We're going to, you know, we're going to call up, you know, uh, we're going to make calls against a SaaS. We're going to, you know, spin up some things that aren't individual machines. And, you know, maybe JetPorch is going to try to bridge that, you know, territory. I, I just see control machine, you know, and, and, and they're, graphics. So they're still, still kind of thinking about that, but even like chef knew that we needed to move into, those other things, you know, not machines. And, um, and I'm sure Ansible already touches some stuff, but it's still very much, um, it still feels like you're treating them like individual machines. Whereas, you know, Terraform and Pulumi, Terraform is, is still fairly imperative where you're like, I'm going to have these things and we're going to have an RDS instance and I'm going to configure it this way. And Pulumi is kind of like, you know, so, so Terraform would be, would be the uh, the Ansible, very uh-huh. imperative, and, and Pulumi would be more like the Chef. That's is is a programming language that can be extended. And Pulumi, like it, my understanding is, you know, they're providing um, SDKs for multiple languages, so you can treat, you know, that your infrastructure has code. You can actually, you know, just start running, you know, code code, uh, and you know, Node or you know. Python or whatever language you want to write it in. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what, what's happening there. And, you know, but then, you know, the kind of the chasm at the other side is, is you've still got 
you know, Kubernetes over there that, you know, they're like, oh, we're all APIs. You know, we're, you know, you, you don't, you don't talk to machines over here. You know, you just, you talk to our APIs and interfaces and we'll do it for you. And so that's why like, you know, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, you know, even ter- you know Terraform Plumy, they they just you know they go all the way up to the edge of of Kubernetes, and then they're like, uh, now we're just making calls like everybody else. We might as well be Helm, right? And you know, or you know, Helm or just manifest YAML. Um, and so that's that's kind of where things stop. So there's this kind of bifurcation of you know these tools do one side, and and I, I know there's Helm. All providers. right, so let's put you on the spot then. Like you know, you you're deep deep in this world. You know this world inside and out. Now, if we're if I come to you and I'm like, hey, which one of these things should we go try and use today? Like, what would you recommend? Which one of these many products? Or how or or if you want to like uh, well, no, if you want a little I, bit of a cop out, like no, no, how no, would you I'm decide? I'm not gonna cop out. I'm not gonna how, cop how would you decide out. which what what to do? So probably probably uh, I'm gonna make the assumption we're running in a cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, hey, we're running on right, AWS. DHH is out. We just lost that account, but it's okay. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. He, he's not going to use Jetport. He wrote right. his own tool. He's he wrote Burst, uh, right? Burst, that, yeah. right? So yeah, which so he's is, done. All right, we lost that account. Literally I'll take him out of Salesforce right now. Right? Go ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. Capistrano was was the original. You know, <laughs> hey, it's I'm sorry, I distracted you. You're about to give yeah. us some real good insight. Go ahead. What? What? How would you make this decision? What would you tell someone to use? I would probably go down the open Terraform route. Oh, really? Interesting. Or, or, or okay. sorry, open tuna. It's tofu. Or, what, it's open tofu. Tofu, tofu yes. route. Okay. I I would probably head down that route. I, I I you know I I was never like crazy about Terraform, but mm-hmm. everybody gets it. Everybody understands it. Um, you know, for all of its warts and wrinkles, you know, it was a known quantity, and um, and you could probably find people to work on it. All right, so let me say that. So that would be the imperative, right? Is that, that's, yeah, is that yeah, the, yeah. That's so, so setting up my style. machines. So I'm uh-huh. saying, like, let, let's say I'm running, I'm running a SaaS, and some of it's going to be cloud services. Some of it's, most of it's going to be on Kubernetes, but we're going to have some stuff that's not, right? Mm-hmm. And so probably I'm running this, you know, this hybrid, you know, the hybrid cloud SaaS infrastructure where hybrid is not on prem, it's a hybrid of Kubernetes and traditional infrastructure which is kind of what a lot of shops are 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 getting into is they're like well we're going to try to put things on kubernetes except for those things you know and and Mm -hmm. kubevert will slowly eat into that but i think i think i would probably head down that path because um congratulations hashi you've now ruined me on on all you know (laughs) commercial open source uh like you know, you like I, 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 I take that back. I would do the deepest of dives on on Pulumi, um, mm-hmm. to make sure that I would not be susceptible to a rug pull. Uh-huh. But I still feel that there's a barrier to entry on Pulumi that the same one we had with Chef. Like people are intimidated by the code part of infrastructure's code, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm not a developer. I'll just do you know horrible things with YAML or you know JSON or or HCL <laughs> and you know, whereas, you know, the code would have been nicer. It would have been easier to understand by, you know, people who took the time to do it right. And so, um, you know, Pulumi, I hope you're not, you know, setting us all up for the eventual rug pull, but, you know, they did just give you, you know, $45 million or something to make a lot of money, um, which is why I would hedge my bets and I'd go with, you know, open, open uh, uh, tofu. All right. So you like the fact that it's open source. That's obviously your number one. And well, you you're invested. In it. right? It's the core of everything you do, and you can't afford to have somebody jerk in your chain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the question there, and there's been a bunch of interviews with uh, the people starting. It's like, well, will it seems out of the gate. Oh, I don't I think they're just calling it tofu. So I don't know if it's open tofu or tofu. I think you can say either, but whatever. Um, it did seem like a lot of people were supporting it, but we'll have to check back. This is one of these things we have to check back in six months and be like. I know, I know like resistance uh, is always exciting at the beginning. Like you rally a big crowd, but then suddenly, you know, everyone can kind of, well, I've, off already and seen, I've already seen people like circumventing Terraform. Like they've already like, you know, they, they've poisoned that well. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, people are like pointing at it being like, don't drink that. Right. And, you know, Palumi's trying to capture that momentum, but, 
you know, if I don't have to think different, I can just grab something that, you know, I'm sure to open tofu, tofu works fine. Right. I'm sure like today it's, you know, compatible, hundred percent compatible probably. And I'm willing to, you know, stick with the, the well-known thing because my business is not, you know, infrastructure is code. My business is my business. Yeah, makes sense. So, all right, well, good. I, I think everyone appreciates that. So everyone should report back in when they start using uh, Tofu. And if you don't like it, you should just email Matt directly. Matt, Matt hates. Uh, <laughs> my, my consulting rates are are surprisingly low. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt, another thing that kind of popped up in the old like open source versus proprietary software uh, was a name I have not heard in a long time, that being Bugzilla. <laughs> So uh, we used to use Bugzilla way back in the day when we first started working together uh, like, wow, in the aughts, I guess it was. So, uh, and actually, you know, I like Bugzilla. I think it's always been, I don't, never, no issues with it, but I guess officially Red Hat, quote, bins Bugzilla for uh, RHEL and is now using Jira. So I don't know. You felt like you had had some thoughts on this. What, what's your take? I, you know, I think I think Jira does not get a lot of love, um, and so 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 there's kind of two things. First off, you know there used to be a cadre of folks at Red Hat who were like open source everything forever, mm-hmm. um, and and that meant like when salespeople showed up, they tried to hand them you know a a rel desktop, <laughs> um, right. which you know a, a friend of mine used to work at in sales at Red Hat. And he the stories he would tell is like they would do that and like every salesperson to a T, you know, threatened to quit on day one. Right. So this um, would be like, you get that, you get open office in the back in the day, yeah. you got like all the stuff that was like, no, no. very difficult the, to use for yes, normal. The, the salespeople at rel were the first to get, you know, windows or, or Mac OS, if that was their preference, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm sure that continues. And then, you know, continuing with that resistance, um, Red Hat had tried to do like an in-house CRM mm-hmm. and, you know, that did not go well. So they, uh, you know, they, they got a Salesforce license, which also didn't get well because they still wanted to like, you know, bend it to their open source will and work around getting too embedded in the product. And so they built a lot of scaffolding around it. And so um, according to my friend, there was an audit, you know, m- many years ago of, of Red Hat's uh, Salesforce implementation that uh, put them in the the bottom Six percent of all implementations of Salesforce. <laughs> Where, I don't know. I still think I know you. You said that, but I almost feel like that's like I'd be like, we're winning. Like if we're low on the like, you, like do you want to be high in the Salesforce? But uh, but 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 that was the problem. The problem for the salespeople was they couldn't close deals because of the software. Right, it's just impossible to use. Yeah, right? I mean they they had like you know made it so terrible. So that's a circuitous way of getting around to. Well, Jira is susceptible to many of the things that people are complaining complain about Salesforce, right? It's mm-hmm. easy to customize, maybe too easy. Every Jira becomes a little bit, you know, special in its own ways. And then, you know, when you upgrade it, it breaks because you made some changes. Um, and so, you know, the solution, of course, was like, oh, well, we'll just host it all for you. But <laughs> um, I, I, I think, you know, Jira is the default lifestyle of, bug tracking but it just doesn't have a good reputation um and anything, i'm not saying there's better things out a, there i was gonna say no, that, that, that's, that, that's it's like bug tracking of, in general is just it's just a painful like well it feels I mean, like the, jira the, feels like a little defaults lifestyle it's like i think this is kind of uh, i mean may, using, maybe github right? issues you know are yeah. the defaults lifestyle but they're too hard to manage you know i mean that's anecdotally uh it's you know and i'm sure like you know product managers at github are hearing this and they're like well you know, we're working on it. You're not aware of this, this, and that. And the problem is, it's like, yeah, I'm not because, you know, engineering switched over to Jira because that's what everybody knew. And they're not happy about it either, but at least they know it. Right. And so, like, I'm sure, you know, revisiting this and, you know, two years or something, GitHub, you know, will be fine for issue tracking. Maybe that's not where you want to put, you know, your crown jewels if if you are, you know, a potential competitor at some point. I don't, you know, I'm just saying like, there's still a lot of resistance to put in everything in GitHub, even though everything's in GitHub. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure, you know, like the, I don't think there's a rel on GitHub that I can open issues against. I have to go find, you know, their public facing Jira, but 
Anyway, long story short is I guess there wasn't a better choice. Uh, Jira, probably better than Bugzilla at this point. I'm a little surprised, but not surprised. I mean, it's not Red Hat anymore. It's IBM. And, you know, they probably... Do you think it's important? Do you think, like, as an open source company using open source software? Like, I remember when we were back in Zenos. That was, at one point, and of a much smaller scale, we kind of had a lot of these conversations. People, we were using, like, Sugar CRM. We were using... Yeah. We, all these open source well, I, yeah. I don't know. My experience was, like, this is just all a waste of time. Like, you just have to pick the thing that works the best for your, um, for your situation. And, like... I don't know. That was even when we were in and we were trying to embrace all that. I just, even at that moment, I was like, this is just, we're having too many conversations about this. Like you're kind of, I don't know, but you're kind of in a similar situation now. You're obviously, you know, working on. No, 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 no. I mean, like, like, what do you got? What is your, how does your company make decisions now? The business is a business, right? You don't, we're like, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, coop cost, you know, they've got open costs. They're, they're very happy about, you know, the work being done in the open source, but like the rest of it is business. You know, they're, um, you know, they're Salesforce, HubSpot, they're, you know, all the enterprise corporate tools that you would expect. There's no, there's no open source, you know, ethos. Uh, it's, you know, we're here to get work done and we're going to use the best tool. You know, a lot of times the best tool for engineering is open source because they're going to need to get under the covers and 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 kick things and and fix them. So you know, engineers aren't going to call for Oracle anymore, right? They're going to call for they're going to call for Postgres or you know MySQL right. or Duck or you know something open source um, because they're going to want you know to get their hands on on the engine. Um, that said, you know, sales, marketing, everyone else, they don't care. You know, they know that like Salesforce is going to need a Salesforce engineer um, who, you know, the, the that engineer isn't getting into the guts of it. They're tailoring it to their experience, which is, you know, somebody in product is probably spending some time kicking, you know, Jira into the shape they want to get the workflows they want or expect. Or when they did their, you know, bake off, they're like, this is the closest to how I think without having to do work. Which is actually what usually wins the bake off is I don't want to do any more work. What tailors the the workflow that I want to do? Yeah, what, what gets me <laughs> d- to done fastest, right? Yes. Really what it comes yeah, down to, and the, so. you know, pro tip for sales, you know, sales engineers everywhere. That's what everybody wants. Nobody wants to, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be shown, you know, a, a, a list of ingredients and you know, saying, "Oh, you can bake anything you want." They want to know, like, boom, here's your cake. You know, you're going to yeah. get it as fast as possible. Well, I guess whoever filed the last bug in Bugzilla at Red Red Hat, which I guess was to uh, shut down Bugzilla, I guess that would be the last open issue. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> well, that no, no, knowing knowing Bugzilla though, there's probably like thousands of them open. Yeah, there is. There definitely are thousands of of Bugzilla. Like, so I don't know. Close small won't fix and and move on. Yeah, I don't know. I think the way this article was written was more like, oh, you know, Red Hat moves off the chair. But I just, I don't know. To me, it seems like no big deal. Like, yeah, that works yeah, for you. I, like, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I know, like, you know, there were Red Hat purists back in the day. I'm sure some of them still exist. Um, I'm sure somebody is, you know, frantically working on a reskin of Bugzilla to, to you know, <laughs> you know, re re-entrench into this. Or, you know, maybe the, the fine folks at Rocky or Alma are carrying the torch. But, um I, you know, the, this is one of those blurry lines where it's like, if engineering, you know, if, if it's not an engineering's way, it's probably not going to be open source. Yeah. No, I think that's a good Or it doesn't have to be open source. Yeah. That, those, well, it's just going to matter a lot less. I mean, just the, 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 uh, the users, if you will, the stakeholders just care a lot less about it. So. That, that all makes sense. They don't have room for purity. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, let's uh, final thing here. We'll check in this week. You know, work from home. I like the work from home saga continues. But this week, I think Cote actually posted. This is a pretty good blog post that dives into some specific uh, metrics that are basically saying that there's more efficiency, right, for those that work at home. And I think I was just been thinking about this a little bit kind of at the higher level. It's like, of course, you know, everyone has their own opinion about what's better. But assuming these studies are correct, one of my thoughts was like, well, hey, this is how you compete with really, really large companies that have like uh, uh, work from home policies that are very rigid, right? So it's like, if there truly is uh, an efficiency gain, then if you're starting a company and you want to compete with the AWS, Microsoft, Google's, Facebook, et cetera, 
then you know you're kind of like you have the advantage, right? Because those cultures, at least as they've kind of stated, they want you to be in the office. So I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of thought around it. And then this other part I thought was really, really interesting. And I think this is kind of the bigger shift that I would welcome to happen in an industry. And here's the quote: It says, uh, "Management, for example, is shifting from input metrics, do you show up, to output metrics, do did the work get done." <laughs> Designing and validating new metrics takes time, but these changes are helping to increase the benefits of work from home. And I was just thinking to myself, like, if you're starting a company today and you don't have like the massive infrastructure of like whatever you want to call it, um, you know, and, you know, management by objectives, OKRs, right. You know, the whole system where like, you know, you kind of have to put in all your goals and then the whole review process. If you really put in the time to like design from the, from the beginning, this is the outputs I'm looking at. And I'm going to couple that with a liberal work from home policy. And I'm going to kind of manage to those metrics. Um, like, it seems like this is a place where like maybe the next generation of companies, right? Like if those that embrace it could potentially have significant advantages against like the old guard, if you will. So I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. And I think with all the stuff, I guess I kind of come back to, it's very hard to like prove anything. Like even this study, like, it seems like it's pretty, you know, well done, you know, and academic and stuff like that. But like, in the end of the day, it's always hard when someone says, well, the group is 10% more effective. It's just like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not even sure. Yeah. I'm not even sure like how to measure my own personal productivity. Exactly. Am I, am I 10% more effective today, tomorrow in an office? I, I don't know. I don't even know like how to measure my own effectiveness, much less a whole group of people's, but I like this idea. And I do like, and I think the thought that the thing that caught my eye there was the coupling of the two things. It's like, no, the output metrics is really the key. And I think most places don't do a good job at that. Most places, like you spend a lot of time talking about stuff you're going to do versus like what you want. And there's lots of reasons for that. And I think that does tie itself very much to like, well, if I'm not totally sure where I want to end up, if I just see you every day, I just kind of feel better that you're like doing stuff, even if you're doing the wrong stuff. I think that's, <laughs> that kind of does make sense to me. Um, and I also think the thing that jumps out at me too, is just like, if you think about your own maybe light personal life when you hire vendors to do things like, you know, fix something in your house or lawn work right. or whatever. It's like most of the time, like you're not, you know, you're just, you're just trying to figure out like how long or not how long you're just trying to figure like, how much will it cost me for you to do this task? And then and it's mm -hmm. usually kind of self-evident, like the plumber comes, like the leak is gone or whatever. Right. And it's like, like that, it sort of mirrors like the more natural conversation. And I kind of think of myself as like, man, I feel like corporations could do that much better. It's like here, Matt, like, at the end of the quarter, this is what we, this is what we're going to, I need, right? This is what I want from you. Now, the part that I think is dangerous with it, or the reason I think management does is like, you're kind of really putting a lot of investment in your business model. Like if I tell you, whatever your metric is, Matt, like I need you to go to the so many conferences and do so many presentations or whatever. Like I've sort of kind of said that, like, I believe that input or that output of you leads to more money. Right. And I think one of the things that executives just like in general is, uh, and I would like it too. So I'm the same way too. Is like, it gives you the ability to just kind of change your mind. Be like, well, we didn't make, we didn't, we didn't make enough money. And then you can kind of go back to the, the group and be like, you guys didn't do the right things versus like someone's asserting ahead of time, right? Like these are the right things and it's going to lead to the outcome I want. And I think maybe that's like why it doesn't happen, right? Is that like, it's kind of assuming the executives kind of know the outputs that will lead to more revenue, which is is a hard job, but this is where I always come back to. It's like, but that's why you get the big bucks, right? That's why you get all the money. So <laughs> well, I don't know. I think the, it's the an only conversation. Yeah, the only executives who know the business outcomes are are, are sales because they're like, well, we need to make eight million dollars, and you need to sell, you know, forty accounts at fifty thousand dollars account. You know, that what what more do I need to do? That's math. Maybe, maybe my math might be off. I missed the quarter. Um, but but yeah, everyone else is like. I think this is directionally what's good for the business. And yeah. Um, but I think what you said there, you hit on something that's really good. It's like sales is traditionally a position that's almost always been like a work from home, kind of be out of the office kind of job. Oh yeah. And I think what you just hit on there is why it's, it's very metric driven. Like everybody knows there's a quota, there's a number of accounts you have to get. And that's why you sort of just kind of like just trust the salespeople. And, to do and, it. and, and I commuting think, and being at a desk doesn't change. Right. Anything. And I think if someone were to go the next level, right. And be like, I'm going to try to define that same type of thing for every function in the company. Right. Then 
you're at a point where it's like, yeah, you are making some assumptions, right? You're like, you, you're kind of assuming that you know what those things are. But if you got to that point, I think it probably would be a better place to work, right? And that's the whole idea. It's like, if it's very clear to you, you know, if you're in content marketing, I need to see this many blogs and this many white papers or whatever, right? And I think that's just where, you know, that's like the real rub. And maybe all of this uncovers is just like, the uncertainty of business is just very uncomfortable. And instead of talking about the uncertainty of business, we always end up talking about these other things like work from home or like objectives and it just, cause it feels safer. So there's something inside of all this work. From home yeah, conversation. We don't, we don't actually want to measure. Uh, we don't actually want to think about how to get the results we want. We just want the bodies to be in place. <laughs> yeah. Like we want, like we just think this stuff has to be done. So, so it's cool. So anyway, I recommend uh, if you're interested in this topic, read that. I think it's a blog by marginal revolutions, real short, but lots of good stats in there. All right. Well, Matt, we can't have an episode where it's just you and me, where we don't talk about something Kote is completely disinterested in. And this week's it's the raspberry Pi five. So what's your take? It's finally here. It's out. What do we need to know about it? Um, I mean, essentially it is twice as fast as the raspberry Pi four on just about everything, you know, bandwidth, mm-hmm. you know, CPU, everything is faster. Um, it's five bucks more at each price point. So yeah, <laughs> that's like it's not, it. um, no, I mean, I wouldn't buy a raspberry Pi four. Uh, I'd buy a five, but mm-hmm. I also, I'm, I'm tapped out. Like I've got, I don't need it anymore because what do you, mean? The you don't rest, need to build a new cluster. Like what's I don't, going on? I, that that's, that's the problem. Um, is like, the bottom of that market is thoroughly saturated. Like, uh, you know, good job, Raspberry Pi. You've sold 40 million units, something ridiculous like that, 50 million units. They've sold a tremendous number of machines to the point where they've invited a lot of competition. Um, when the Raspberry Pi 5 showed up, it got, you know, compared against things that have been out for a year and that are just as fast. So they... I'm not saying they missed their window. I'm sure they'll sell a lot of these because of, you know, brand recognition and, 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 and the like, but um, other stuff is kind of like shown up and it's just as good. Um, you know, it's, it's had time to like season and, and, and get supported a bit. So I, I think um, I'm not going to go out and buy one. Uh, sorry. Um, I don't need them. I, I've got like, you know, everything's just fine the way it is. Um I'm not really looking to move on to a, uh, a Raspberry Pi 5 desktop. Um, I've already got an ARM laptop, right? I, I, I'm good. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, wow. I'm, this is I'm happy to see it. For the Raspberry 5 uh, product marketing and sales. No, I, they've I, lost, if they I'm lost excited. Ray, you know, I mean, I I mean I'm excited for the market, um, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not showing up as like, you know, a, they're not blowing the doors off anything. You know, keeping the price point was good. But they're not winning on, you know, really anything um, other than, you know, hey, you know, it's going to be well supported because they've got such a tremendous user base. But other than that, it's like I if I was doing a new project, I'd put them in the the competition just because, you know, like like let's say I was doing a big IoT you know fleet of devices. I definitely would put them in my mix, but they'd be in the mix against things with better specs. And at the same price points. Um, and so then it's kind of like, well, you know, the, the advantages might be like, you know, name recognition, which, you know, counts for something when, you know, you're counting on your suppliers to be around for a long time. Um, but also like, maybe I wouldn't even need such a high end model. You know, there's, they, they got, they got to be good enough with the four is kind of my point. And so the five is like, you know, if I tell Brandon, how fast is your laptop? I have no idea. You don't know. See, they got good enough long enough ago that like, you don't know how fast your laptop is anymore. Well, yeah, that's my point. All right. right, That's where I am with these devices. Like the official map. I don't expect high performance. I expect (laughs) I'm paying, you know, on battery, you know, on, on low, low, low power and good enough. And Uh like, that's a saturated market. All right. Well, I think we can summarize this, but you're going to say, I'm going to, your official recommendation is the raspberry Pi is fine, but really the Raspberry Pi four, it's just fine. You know, it's just it's it well, does I, the job, I, right? I'd probably you know? get a five because five bucks, why not? But I'm I don't need them anymore. Like, but you're not gonna you're not rushing out for any specific no, reason. So no. all right. Well, Raspberry Pi, like that 
you, Sorry, guys. It feels like you're kind of losing out on Matt Ray. Maybe someone needs to just send him a bunch of Raspberry Pi. But you know what I do you know? have? Get him some free I, stuff. I, I've got my, my Risk Five device that I can't boot. So, you know. <laughs> that's right. Make it harder. Always make it harder for Matt. Well, Ryan. I, I, I you know, that, that's, that's where the, the, you know, the, the tinkers, the, the crazy people have moved on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, I, um, I think we talked it's about it. It's just a, it's a very safe device. There's nothing. Yeah. Which bores you. So, like, yeah. So the Risk 5, it just does the, the quick reminder everyone, Risk 5 is sort of like the open, open source version of ARM. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I think we, when we talked about it, I think another episode Cote wasn't on, we talked like, well, maybe in 10 years, Apple will switch to that. But I saw where Apple just signed another really long-term deal with oh, ARM. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, well, anywhere. I don't know, Matt, the risk, the dream of risk five, it may have to wait. We may be doing this podcast in our real old age when that, that shift happens. Well, but, but so. the thing is like, nobody's going to make a ton of money except at volume. And then at volume, you have to worry about licensing and that's where risk wins against ARM. Right, Which we'll is like, uh, the you know, of course Apple doesn't care about that. Yeah, so maybe it'll be like the we didn't really talk about this week. Maybe it'll be in like the these like the new like glasses and stuff that come out. Like that'll be the switch, right? They're like, yeah. oh, you know, it turns out, but I'm, uh, yeah, it's fine. exactly. But I'm sure Apple like you know negotiated where they're not paying per per chip anymore. Right. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Well, you know, when Apple when Apple walks in to ARM, they're like, uh, you, you think it's a pretty one sided <laughs> conversation. Well, they're, they're we both going to make their money. They're both. Yeah, no, I agree. Money. I think ARM is probably happy to take some huge check of like, and and Apple's happy to be like, yeah, we're going to write you this one time, and we own it forever. You can never talk to you. You can never say otherwise. So uh, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Cote uh, is off uh, presenting right now. And um, if you are interested in a, seeing him at a conference coming up, there, October 9th, there's the Spring Tour Amsterdam. So I assume we'll be there. You know, that will be a short commute for him. And then, uh, Matt, you're going to be over in uh, KubeCon North America. That's November 6th through 9th. As we talked about, Matt will not be using the Global Entry app when he arrives in the United <laughs> States. Cote will be at VMware uh, explore barcelona also november 6th through the 9th uh and then uh, i think our we've got our friends at that conference that's uh actually coming up you know re- reasonably soon such so january through february so if you want to come to round rock texas which is right outside of austin you should come check that one out as well also we got a little bit of feedback this week so i sent some stickers to our friend in the netherlands so i didn't have i don't have kota here i was going to make him pronounce this name i believe it's eon and it's spelled L-O-A-N, but I don't know. I tried to look up the Dutch L pronunciation. I? I think that's an L. I hope that's an L. But I don't know. Maybe I got the whole thing wrong. Maybe it is an I, and that's Eon. So, it's an I. So however I say it wrong, I, I probably say it, but I think it said the, in the uh, pronunciation, it said like two E. So Eon. So hopefully, Eon, hopefully you got your stickers. Hopefully I didn't say your name <laughs> wrong. Uh, and if you did, you can just uh, you know email me again and tell me I did it all wrong. Also, we sent some stickers to a good friend of the show, Martin George. He's going to be at KubeCon North America. He's going to be doing a bunch of interviews. So who knows? Matt, maybe Matt Ray will do an interview with Barton there as well. Also sent some stickers to John in California. Here, his quote was, uh, here it is, quote, uh, I am yet to land that software developer role, but have successfully gone from iron worker to tax accountant to business analyst. And he tells us uh, our insight has helped him understand what he needs to, to make the final step to dev. So I was like, wow, that is quite the trajectory. I, I don't know if we know anyone that has gone from iron worker to developer. So hopefully he'll make it. Make uh, it. And then finally, um, this was really, Ooh, you think he's going to use rust. Oh, that would be great. That would be the natural. <laughs> I'll email him back and say, yep, John, you have to learn rust. That's the only kind of developer you can be. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, uh, Luke from Slack, he disagrees with Kote. He likes the little wooden forks and he uses them for chips in the UK, which of course I had to look up to double check it. Chips are fries. What we think of as, as French fries. What are chips in, uh, or they're what are chips. fries in Australia? They're chips. Oh, I don't know. That's, we got to get on that. We got to change that. You know, if we go metric, they need to give up the chips. We need chips to be fries. So that's going to be on the negotiating. Uh, I think that block. that is a fair negotiation. I think, I think that's everyone weird. in the world would be happy to call them fries. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's, Even the Belgians. We should, we should put, <laughs> put them on the list of like, okay, we've agreed to metric. Here are the changes we need from you. Um, all right, Matt, uh, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation for the week is, uh, uh, I heard about the Search Engine podcast. I I had not been following the the fallout of the the 
you know, rise and fall of reply all, which mm-hmm. I, I, I was a big fan. I didn't hear what had happened. Uh, apparently PJ vote has a new podcast called search engine. There's a bunch of episodes already out, uh, but I subscribed and, you know, for listeners of our show, the first one you got to kick off with is wait, should I not be drinking airline coffee? Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. So PJ vote, one of the hosts, uh, of that, of, I guess, you know, originally of Gimlet media, that's where they started. I guess they started, they started reply all somewhere else, but it was bought by Gimlet media. And then him and Alex him there started. They, they were, yeah. It was a spinoff had, on the media. Yeah. So Avon, exactly. Um, well, I think it was two. So the lineage was like, I think TLDR was the original yeah, yeah. podcast. On the media to TLDR. Yeah. And then the they started uh, this. And so what was interesting about the whole thing is there was actually a bunch of controversy. I guess PJ votes was sort of, uh, if you will, voted off the island of Gimlet Media, which was owned by Spotify because of some like, I don't know, internal politics slash HR issues around their union. I guess he didn't support mm-hmm. it. So like he had a long period of like doing nothing. And then he actually had a podcast, Crypto Island. They did oh, right before this one. one. So yeah. you can go back and he tells all these crazy crypto stories. And then, yeah, I've seen Search Engine is good. I would say, yeah, if you like to reply all, you know, it's the kind of, it's really just the kind of the same exact version of it. But what I want them to do, I actually want there to be someone to do a podcast about, the if you will gimlet media being acquired and then all the infighting that uh went on there and then how all these podcasts basically ended up like leaving because i think that would be really interesting so it's almost like the meta podcast like like they do investigative stories about other I- issues someone needs to do the same well they have to go back gimlet to all media. the media well like, yeah but i mean start, but that would be the whole somewhere, series someone's safe yeah yeah you would start you would start the whole series and be like well they started with this podcast tldr and then you could go through all of the different politics and you could tell like the real story uh kind of the you know because the startup podcast was really really popular that was where was alex can't remember his last name anyway he got got acquired by spotify oh, but like i yeah. actually think it's like the meta podcast someone going to the rise and fall of that podcast would be a great well, podcast for you should work to. on it after you help kote with this sun book <laughs> yeah like when, when we do it so uh okay a couple other random things uh for me uh, my recommendation this week simple recommendation is uh we just got this anchor magsafe battery i think it's pretty good my uh, family's gonna be traveling so i i set them up set them up with it so it's just you know very simple you just like put it on as a magnet it seems like it's it can't nothing can go wrong with it so i think it's gonna be real simple and i think it's a great way to do the battery but i did want to ask you matt i wanted to we'll have a quick uh Side conversation here is uh, I assume at this point, have any of your children had uh, orthodontics braces of any kind at this point? All right. So my son, we just got to the age and we just went through the whole process. So long story short is I was like really blown away with like, wow, braces and orthodontics have changed quite a bit since I've been involved. Right. And so uh, he, they sent him home with this thing. So he put on his braces in itself was an interesting process because they take the mold and it's kind of, everything kind of comes very custom, which was interesting. But the thought that really caught my eye was uh, there's an app called dental monitoring. So they basically showed him how to use it. And so what you do is, you know, you hook it up to your iPhone and it has this crazy looking, like, I don't know what to describe it. It's like a reverse mouth guard and you take a picture like every month or every two weeks, he goes through and he uses the phone and he takes a picture of um i guess three pictures that it kind of guides you through and it uploads all the photos of your progress uh to the doctor and the doctor basically can can do a a virtual check-in right and i thought in myself i was like wow it's incredibly well done like the way the app works and the way that it actually um you know takes these pictures so I, i thought that was phenomenal and then the other day because it's actually hooked up on my phone because I'm uh, a bad parent. And I won't give him a telephone. That's a subject for another day. But uh, what um, what it does is it actually got a note back the other day and it said, hey, you want to see your progress? And what it does is it animates like oh, from nice. the first time. Like, so you actually are seeing the teeth move. And then you know how sometimes they do, um, they'll take two pictures like before and after or like the 4K and you can have a slider. So they have that mm. too. They also have the slider view of you're looking at people's, his teeth and you can see like and just slide back and forth and i like first of all he was a little freaked out by it he was like whoa because i guess it is kind of weird to see your teeth and such a but i was like oh wow this is incredible so i was just like blown away by the whole thing and i thought it's great uh interest uh, just an interesting use of digital transformation so this was a huge long lead up i just wanted to ask like did any of your kids experience no. anything similar or is no, this they just were, a, they were a US still thing? like dark uh, i mean uh, looking at their website, I don't think it's just a U.S. thing because they support uh, seven languages. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, their orthodontist did not use it. The third, my my third is uh, he's just losing the last of his baby teeth, so he'll probably be headed down that path soon. Um, but we're probably going to try a different orthodontist uh, because he'll probably go down the Invisalign path, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know is a slightly different path, but um, doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't have that level of software. They they do, it does have like you know the before and after videos and 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 fun stuff, but uh, no, well, yeah, because we went no down the whole app. pitch. You know, yeah. I guess you're going to get it. It's like you kind of get like when we met the time, so it kind of gives you both options. You kind of pick what's right for you, and it's kind of like braces slightly faster once they're on. You know, you can just you don't have to quote do anything. You don't have to remember to t- you know if you will leave it in. And it sounds like if you're really disciplined, Invisalign sounds like it works well. Our son, yeah, I think yeah. he himself would volunteer. And I just had the braces, but like, no, no, thought- the, the 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 Samsung Beans user, he's gonna be, he's he's dedicated. He's like, dedicated. Yeah, it sounds like he is. So I was gonna say, well, the thing that's really interesting there too is kind of the same digital transformation. Is like, I guess once they scan your teeth, they just send you all these molds. Kind of the progression, right? Is yeah, kind of yeah, how it works. Absolutely. So it's like, so it really is. It's pretty interesting just being in an orthodontics office. Like, wow, this is actually more like IT than it is. It's just sort of like taking models, ordering them applying them and then really the tech does all the work and then you're just left with uh it's like the the quote-unquote orthodontist is just literally coming around like i think he had six chairs like they have like he's just literally like it's just like signing off on the work like yep everything looks good this is good and he gives you a little advice so so really impressed i don't know i was just uh you know it's funny like you know you're away from something for 30 years you're like oh wow things have changed quite a bit so uh so good good luck to all the people having orthodontics out there good luck and if for some (laughs) reason uh if you're looking for, I would recommend this dental monitoring thing. I think it's actually pretty interesting. So it's fun to look right. at. Cool. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, if you made it through dental monitoring and you're still here, if we thank you, uh, that Sorry. most importantly, <laughs> and then if it's the first time you've ever listened to us, uh, you should just subscribe right now in the uh, podcast player, podcast player you're listening to in the moment. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, subscri- subscribe to all of the social media. And if you want a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Maybe we can have him come on the show and give his final review. <laughs> he wants nothing to do with the show. <laughs> Even better. that He would be a perfect guest. Absolute perfect uh, guest. How, how many podcast dads are out there and their kids are like, no. Just no, Dad. <laughs>